<laughs> so Revelation chapter number one, we're going to pick up. We've, uh, we finished in verse number six uh, uh, last week. And so we're going to pick up here in verse number seven. I'm not really sure how far we're going to get tonight. I'm not really uh, sweating covering too much ground because I want to kind of drill down tonight and point some things out to you. The Bible says in verse number seven of Revelation one, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which was and which, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, uh, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation, and the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight, and I thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for being God. Thank you for... Uh, having men write these things in a book. And God, it's a real blessing to have a Bible. Father, I want to believe your word more as time goes on, not less. I want to understand it more. I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach me. I believe you have, and I I know I need a lot more teaching, so I pray you'd continue to teach me. I pray you'd give me wisdom to understand these things and discernment to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And then, God, on top of that, I need an extra portion of your grace to be able to communicate these things in such a way that the youngest kids in this room can get something from the Holy Spirit of God that will strengthen their faith in your words. And the oldest person and the longest-serving Christian can really get something and be fed from your words. Father, help us as we study not to get an arrogant spirit, not to get a a debating kind of a spirit, a back and forth spirit, but help us to just love this book and just to soak up what it is you have for us and give us wisdom. God, help me to be able to say things uh, the way they need to be said. Help me to teach sound doctrine. Give me wisdom to say the right things and not to come across wrong, not to be wrong. Help me to be taught right and uh, to be able to teach it the same way. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice verse number 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. That's important. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Not in the clouds. Okay? He cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him. That one had bothered me for a long time. And it's a common point of kind of contention, I guess, a lot of times among the brethren. So they say, well, if the earth is round, how can every eye see him? So then the flat earth guys say, see, every eye will see him. Earth obviously isn't round, which is actually hysterical. But anyways, um, so then they had other people say, well, maybe that's because of technology and every eye is going to be able to see him. But I'm 100% sure that at this point, um, you're not going to be using technology to see Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the earthquakes that are going to be, have, have been happening and the devastation and the wars that are taking place around the earth, the electrical grid ain't going to be up, your cell phone ain't going to be charged it ain't going to be watching him on a TV screen or on some kind of a live feed. That's just foolishness. It says, every eye shall see him. And that's been a common problem, right? Because you've got people all the way over here in the United States of America. How are we going to see him if he's coming down over there? So then they say, well, maybe it's because he's so huge that he's kind of filling outer space as he comes down. And just a lot of conjecture. But I want to show you tonight um, not only what exactly this verse is talking about, 
But I want to give you a couple different options on how that would work. And God's going to have that same thing set up where every eye shall see him, just like he said they would. And uh, the Bible's the Bible's always bigger than you and bigger than your mind and bigger than your debates and bigger than science and bigger than all the rest of that. But God's got the thing covered. And the answers to a lot of these questions are found in your Bible. Now, I'll say this, especially as you go through Revelation, you're not always going to be able to get answers to everything you want an answer to. You do understand that, right? A lot of times God just says it and you have to believe it by faith and that's that. But there's a lot of things in here that actually make a whole lot more sense than people give it credit for. And the problem is the preachers haven't done a very good job of teaching the people because the preachers don't believe the Bible anymore. If the preacher spends all his time in the Hebrew and in the Greek, he's literally wasting time trying to find something that really he isn't going to find when he could be studying the English Bible and strengthening your faith in the English Bible. That's what I want to do. I want you to come to this church, stay in this church, go home. Every time you go home, I want your faith in that book to be a little bit stronger than it was when you came. I want you to realize that you got the truth, and I don't want you to doubt your Bibles. If any of you ever lose your mind or some of you kids grow up and get pulled away or torn away by the devil or some goofball that you think you love takes takes you off into some contemporary church or away from the King James Bible, I want you to sit there miserable. I'm not being mean. I care about you, and I care about the truth, and I care about you having the truth. I want you to get over there and be like, man, there's something different about these guys. And listen, don't ever mistake it for Pastor Reagan. It ain't that. It's the truth. It's preaching and teaching the Bible and believing every word of the Bible. When a man believes the Bible, every word of the Bible, there will be a difference in his preaching that you can't necessarily put your finger on, but you'll sense it. You'll know it's there. Listen, some guys aren't really all that scholarly. I mean, Dr. Ruckman's an exception, right? And there are a lot of guys that are extremely brilliant. I think Dr. Walker's brilliant in the Bible. There's a lot of Bible-believing guys that are scholarly and are brilliant. But I know a lot of other ones that aren't very smart. I'm talking they just kind of came up on the street and got saved and got in the Bible and believed the Bible, got their faith strengthened in the Bible, and they're not the greatest teachers in the world. But when they get in a pulpit and start preaching because they believe every word of the book they're preaching, there's a difference. The Holy Spirit of God bears witness to it. It makes a difference in your life. You might even be smarter than him, but God will use him to make a difference in your life, and you need him (laughs) even though you're smarter than him. That's the power of the book. I want your faith in this Bible strengthened. You'll come across passages like that and you'll sometimes scratch your head and just kind of wonder, like, how is every eye going to see him? So I want to get our bearings here, doctrinally speaking. I'm going to take you to some different passages. If you would, please start with me over in the book of Zechariah, right? The second to the last book in the Old Testament. Go to the book of Zechariah, chapter number nine. Now, I mentioned to you, I think it was on Wednesday night. What you have here is the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? That's Revelation 1-7. This is not, and we'll look at it later if we get to it tonight, this is not the rapture of the church. Revelation 1-7 is not the rapture of the church. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what you have to understand is there's, there's three phases to the second coming. So the second coming begins with a rapture. But he doesn't put his, it's not the second advent where he puts his foot down. It's part of the second coming. The first coming was a baby in a manger, right? The second coming is when Jesus Christ comes back to earth. The first phase of the second coming is a rapture. There's a tribulation period, and at the end of the tribulation period, the second advent happens where he puts his foot down on this planet, 
and enforces his kingdom. A battle goes into place, and we'll look at some of that as we're going through these passages. But I want you to understand Revelation 1-7 and doctrinally what that's talking about. <clears throat> you ever get confused as you read through the minor prophets? Yeah, sometimes you're reading through them and you're like, what in the world, right? If you understand rightly dividing the word of truth, and you understand a premillennial layout and a pre-tribulation rapture, and the second advent of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period, when you learn rightly dividing, then as you read your Bible and start looking at some of these Old Testament passages, they're going to pop to you like never before. And I don't know what it is, but when they make sense, I even tend to get more practical stuff out of them. When it doctrinally makes sense, I look at that, I, go, I know what he's talking about, then I can start gleaning the practical help I get, even in my own devotional reading. So it's important to understand some of this stuff. Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 1, The burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus shall be as the rest thereof, watch this, when the eyes of man, as of all the tribes of Israel, shall be toward the Lord. You see that? Every eye shall see him, right? Skip down with me in that same chapter to verse number 14. And the Lord shall be seen over them. And his arrows shall go forth as the lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet. That's not the rapture. The trumpet's blown more than once. And shall go with whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour, and shall subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and make a noise as through wine. And they shall be filled like bowls as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be this, as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids. You know who he's talking about right there? He's talking about his people. You see that in verse 16? The Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. You know who that is? That's the Jews. This thing's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's talking about Revelation 1-7 when he comes back. Look at uh, Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 9. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. You know what they're doing in the end of the tribulation period? The whole world's trying to wipe out Israel. You know what Jesus Christ is going to do? He's going to come back and he's going to seek to save her. He's going to destroy the nations coming against her. That's the second advent. And I will pour upon the house of David. You see, that's Israel. And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications. You know what the Lord's doing? He's bringing her back to himself. I'll show you more in just a couple of minutes. The Lord's bringing Israel to repentance. He's bringing Israel back to himself. He's pouring upon his chosen people the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look, they sh and they, uh, they shall look upon me, see it, whom they have pierced. Who's he talking about? It's the Jews, right? It's Israel. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. He's talking about the Jews. Now, did you see how he said there's going to be a great mourning? Revelation 1 7 said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. 
Zechariah 12 talks about a great morning and them looking upon him with a that's Israel. Now stay with me a second and I'll give you a couple different options of what, what could explain that every eye is going to see him. Go to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14, we're still looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the second advent. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Now that's very important, the day of the Lord. A lot of people do not understand what the day of the Lord is and what that means. That's the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Now, sometimes that refers to, let me, let me think about it here. Sometimes that can refer to the rapture. It can refer to the tribulation, the second advent, and the millennium. So the day of the Lord, when you find it, it can be referring to that period of time, the second coming, and it can be referring to any one of those things along that timeline. Does that, does that make sense? You could find it making different applications. But the day of the Lord is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Do you see that? What's God going to do? God's going to gather everybody to that spot on the planet. Every eye shall see him. Well, how's that going to happen? <laughs> God's got it worked out. God's going to gather the entire world to one point. I will gather all nations, you see that, against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations when he hath brought forth as when he fought in the day of battle. So God's going to gather them together, allow them to tear up half the city, and then the Lord's going to come and say, I've had it, that's it. And he's going to pour out on Israel grace and supplications when they look on him whom they have pierced. Israel's going to be having a new birth. That's Ezekiel 37, I believe it is, when he you know, preached to the dry bones and they stand on their feet in a great army and he breathes on them and they become a, that whole deal. That's, that's the new birth of Israel. That's the day Israel saved when they recognize their Messiah and they look up to him. They see him coming down. Then shall the Lord go forth. And, and, I'll, and I'll explain that to you a little more in just a couple minutes. We'll look at another passage that explains. Okay, so that's the day of their new birth. We'll look at it in a minute. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Now watch this. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley. And half the mountain shall, shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Jesus Christ is going to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. That's important. When he comes back, puts a foot on the Mount of Olives, the other one's in the Mediterranean Sea. And when he puts his foot down, that, olives, that Mount of Olives splits. You talk about power, man. That's going to be pretty cool. You know why? Because I'm already going to have the mind of Christ. I'm already going to have my glorified body. I'm going to be there with him, following my captain into battle. And it's going to be a time when he says, hey, you did real good keeping peace down there. Let's have some more. <laughs> Cursed is a man to hold back his sword from blood. Let's go, fellas. We're going to be fighting with him. All right, look at verse 5. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye, like as ye fled from before the earthquake. Now, as we go through Revelation, you'll see in the tribulation period, there's some 
pretty massive earthquakes hitting the earth. I mean massive. I'm talking great, mighty earthquakes busting this thing up. Folks, you are not going to have any kind of electric grid. You're not going to have any kind of water supply. The communications are going to be down. This place is going to be an absolute, complete, total hell on earth. Literally, hell is going to open up in the tribulation period, and stuff's going to be coming out of hell tormenting people that's, that's like nothing you've ever seen in a movie. And anything you do see, they get it from the Bible already, like we saw last time with their eyes, was that Wednesday night, their eyes melting in their sockets and their flesh melting off their bones? They, 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 they got nothing. They steal it all from God. All right? You shall flee into the mountains. Uh, where do we Oh, as in the earthquake is in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. See that? That's you and me. This is the second advent, you guys. This is Revelation 1.7. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. You remember how I mentioned that to you? I think it was maybe on Wednesday night. Remember how I told you when the Lord comes back, He comes what? With clouds, right? And when you go through your Bible and you see Him talk about the early and latter rain, right? There's a rain coming in the tribulation period, that's going to be so heavy, it's almost frightening when the Lord comes back. That day is not going to be dark or light. I, think I, ref- I don't think we turned and looked at this Wednesday night, but I think I referred to it. Does anybody remember? I think I made mention of it. Here's the passage. It says that it's going to be not clear. Uh, the de- that It shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. So it's a hazy, rainy, cloudy day. It's a weird, there's a weird light in the sky. You ever see some of these storms come in and it's almost eerie? It's almost like not nighttime, but it's not light. And the light that's there is like almost frightening. It's going to be like that times like maybe a million because Jesus Christ is coming back with clouds and they're seeing him and a rain's coming. I mean, the place is desolated. The famines have tore the, the whole world up. The, the drought has just dried everything up. And the Lord's coming in with a rain and just literally like some kind of a movie scene as the Lord's restoring this thing and setting up his kingdom. That rain coming through and behind it just whoosh, just the green just popping up just like that. I'm talking God just stinking, reviving this thing. It's going to be wild. But in one day, but in that one, but it shall be, excuse me, verse 7, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go forth out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one. That's the second advent. That's when Jesus Christ comes back and sets it up. Now, I've showed you a couple of times how it talks about every eye referencing Israel. Go to, uh, we looked at, already looked at Zechariah 14. Uh, go to Psalms chapter 104. Psalm chapter 104. So it looks to me like there's a couple of possibilities. I'm leaning toward the fact that, in my own opinion, I'm leaning toward the fact that God has done something all the way across the planet throughout the tribulation period to drive everybody still existing back to the Middle East. Um, let me ask you a great question. Where do you find the United States of America in the Bible? Now, there's some stuff in Daniel where you can kind of like try to line certain things up and you see where the USA could plug in there as one of the beasts and that kind of deal. And you do see some of that. But what you also see is that those nations are all falling and being destroyed. What I think, more than likely, I think we're going to be 
just destroyed by the time that happens. I don't think this nation's going to make it through the tribulation period. If that, um, you already see what you can already see how it'd be real easy for us to just turn on each other and come apart, right? I think by the time we get to that point, everybody's going to have to have gotten out of here. It's it's easy. I mean, nowadays it's easy to imagine, right? Used to be maybe a while ago, like how is an entire continent, and how about South America, and what about? I think now it's pretty easy to see how that could happen. Just a few pushes of a button. You guys realize how unbelievably witty, to use a Bible word, evilly genius the militaries of the world are right now? Everybody freaks out about Russia. What a joke. Honestly, what a joke. And at the same time, they do have something up their sleeve that our highest powers know, or they'd be a little bit more bold in dealing with them, just like they deal with them. We stick our nose in everybody's business everywhere around the planet. You understand that, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I mean, went to Mexico and they had an appreciation for us. They said, you guys are the world's policemen. Now, now some of them can't stand us, right, because of the American mentality. But I did get some feedback from people like, you're the world's policeman. Without you guys, that'd be like, it'd be crazy. And we actually are. That's kind of true. So if we're going to actually stick our nose in everybody's business everywhere and not fear that, why are we afraid of Russia? Why are we afraid of China? I don't know the answers to these questions. I'm just telling you. There are surveillance, our understanding of what these guys can do. Their nuclear arsenal must be, or they're bluffing real good. Understand what I'm saying? But let me tell you something. I'm just saying this. This is the honest fact. As of right now, I really don't believe any of those guys have a chance with us if we let go everything we got. I really believe that. And I've talked to some people that have much more knowledge of all that than myself. And rather than quoting them inaccurately from a conversation that comes out of my memory, I'll just say I've talked to people a whole lot more educated in all that than me from positions that are high enough in the military to be able to say, look, you know, what we can do is shocking. Just came out with a new bomber that's supposed to be even more stealthy than ever before and all the rest of this stuff. You realize the nuclear capabilities, how we could literally just wipe out an entire nation? So it's not that hard to imagine what's going on in the tribulation period. When God actually unleashes Lucifer and the demons coming up out of hell, can you imagine what's going to happen? How about nations that just have forgotten that God was the Lord? Nations that at one point had the blessing and power of God and the truth spread all over it and turn from that truth and turn to darkness and become sevenfold more the child of hell than it was before. God does deal with nations as well as individuals. You understand that. So my opinion, I think the thing is going to be so wiped out that everybody is going to be drugged back to that part of the world. It's just circled all the way back to where it started. Now, the other possibility on that is that Revelation 1-7 is talking about the Jews. When it says, every eye shall see him, and then there's a comma, and they which pierced him, comma, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, it could be saying this. It could be saying every eye, we're talking about the eyes of the Jews, because I just showed you a couple passages in Zechariah that talked about the Jews seeing their Messiah. So it's totally possible that Revelation 1-7 is the Jews, every eye of the Jews. It would be like this. It'd be like me saying, you know, uh, I, I put up my fist through the wall and everybody saw it. Well, it doesn't mean everybody on the planet saw it. It meant everybody here saw it, right? So that could, that's a dumb illustration, but do you get the point I'm making? Every eye of the Jews saw him. That's possible for Revelation 1-7. 
I think even more likely is that the devastation has gotten so bad everywhere around the planet, somehow or the other, God's drug everybody back over there, and so everybody is in that location that's still alive. Because the death toll is going to be astronomical. I think we'll get to some of that as we go through Revelation. The numbers of people dying will be mind-blowing. I mean, mind-blowing. So every eye is over there. Uh, You should have made it to Psalm 104 by now. Psalm 104, look at verses 3 and 4. Who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. That's really interesting. Because we've already read some passages here leading up to this point that talk about the fire coming, God coming, the fire devouring, and all that kind of thing at the second advent. Skip down with me to verse number 7. At thy rebuke they fled, at the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys into the place which thou hast founded for them. Now I understand what this is talking about. I see it's talking about waters. I recognize what God's saying here. But look at this thing in context with, with in mind, Revelation 1.7. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Now hang on a minute. If God's powerful enough to do that with water, you understand how powerful water is, right? Water, men still can't control water. That's a devastating power. If God can control where the waters go, you don't think God can control where the people go? You don't think that there could possibly be a hint here because you see his ministers as flaming fire. You can see a second advent thing kind of clouded in here, right? And that's not the primary application here, I understand. But you can see an application to the second advent. Ministers as flaming fires. He laid the foundations, right? That they shouldn't be moved. He covered the deep as with waters as with a garment. We know he did that. So why is it not possible that when he sets a bound for waters that maybe he's not giving us a hint here that he also sets a bound for people? In other words, if God does it now, which he does do, right, with people, well, you start getting too big for your britches, God will knock you down a bit, right? And build a tower to heaven, we're going to go to Mars and all the rest of that. That's demonic as it gets. You have no business being on the moon. And I don't believe it's some kind of a big conspiracy theory. We were never were there or anything. I think we were. And I don't think it's saying much at all. If they were building a tower to heaven and the Tower of Babel and God said, we better stop them because this man's going to do whatever he sets his mind to. Think about that for a minute. I think it's insanity. He said, well, if, if, you want, if I had the opportunity to go up there in a, in, a, in, a, in a spaceship and all that kind of thing and walk on, the, I wouldn't take it. There's stuff out there. I'm not supposed to be out there. There's stuff out there I don't want to deal with. You understand what I'm saying? You ain't meant to be out there. God set bounds of your habitation. If God set that before and has enforced it all this time, you don't think God can do that in the tribulation period? I will guarantee you he can. And I think that's why Revelation 1-7 says, Every eye shall see him. But if I'm wrong about that, it definitely could very obviously be talking about every eye of Israel. Does that make sense? And all the kindreds of the earth wailing. Go with me to one more passage so that we kind of nail down here this second advent thing. I want you to look at the book of Matthew, chapter number 24, please. Matthew, chapter 24. Look at verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, now that's very important. You know why? 
Where does he put his foot down when he comes back at the second advent? Okay. So Jesus Christ is sitting on the Mount of Olives when he begins to preach this message. He says, the disciples came unto him how? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, now that's just, I think, the way God has a great sense of humor and just sort of putting stuff in there and backing up what he's taught you very clearly in other passages. There's a private catching up of the disciples. That's kind of neat. And he starts to preach about something's going to happen in the future. Tell us when these things shall be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. They're like, Lord, we want to know. What's the sign of your coming and what's the end of the world? Tell us when all this is going to happen. Now watch. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. That's the first thing the Lord wants you to know about eschatology, which is a big fancy word for saying end times. The first thing God wants you to know is be careful that nobody deceive you about how this is all going to play out. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Boy, we've seen a lot of that, and you'll keep seeing it. I mean, you can look up that stuff. I wouldn't bother. I probably shouldn't even have said that. I don't even like looking up the stuff. But, man, there's all kinds of people throughout the centuries that have come in saying they're Jesus and started all kinds of cults in the name of Jesus and claiming to be Jesus. And people believe he's Jesus. It's crazy what people will do in the name of religion. And if you got a great charismatic personality, it's wild what you can get some fools to do. How rich they can make you and how you can take advantage of them. Uh, that's why we're Bible Believers Church. That's why we encourage you to bring a Bible and open your Bible and turn in the Bible and ask questions and pray over what's preached and make sure the Holy Spirit testifies to what's being said. Amen? Amen. I, keep, I want to keep you from ever being deceived. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, we got plenty of that, right? They're all saying all the time, well, there's just you know, more and more wars and rumors of wars. Like, Relax. Why do you say that? Relax. Why? See that you be not troubled. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Man, people have been killing each other since, what was it, Cain and Abel? Since the dawning of time. You can't get four chapters into the Bible without somebody killing somebody? <laughs> They're going to keep it up. Oh, when the war with, war with Ukraine ends, then everything's going to be better. No, something else will happen. Oh, don't worry about it. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. you got to love it. You know, we're going to stamp out poverty. No, you're not. Well, what about the poor, starving children? And They'll always be there. That's why Jesus said, the poor have with you always. Earthquakes. Well, we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of weird patterns in the weather and all the rest of that stuff. At least that's what they're trying to make us believe, that we're heating up the earth and we're ruining Mother Earth and all the rest of that stuff. I, had, I read a real interesting article. They said actually the hurricanes now that have been coming through, there's oh, the hurricanes are getting worse and worse. They're actually not. There's actually a normal cyclical pattern to hurricanes, according to the guys that study that stuff. And this is going to be so amateur repuking of the information, you can go look it up for yourself, but the amateur repuking of the information is that the cycles are normal and they're like a 50-year pattern or something like that and they, it'll go get real bad and then they get better and they get real bad and they get better. The fact of the matter is that, yeah, the devastation's worse now. Economically, it has more of an impact because it's grown up so much around the ocean areas 
There's so much population growth and everybody builds right out to the water. Back in the day, they didn't build right out to the water and the cities that were down there were much smaller. So hurricanes could come through and not do near as much economic damage and not have near as much loss of life. But they're saying the hurricanes actually used to be worse than they are now. They're always frothing you up about something. Look, don't worry about all that stuff. Don't get all worked up about a nuclear war. Please don't get stressed out about China. Please. If they start a war, what are you going to do about it anyways? What is all your stress right now doing for your health, for your rest, for your walk with Jesus Christ, and what is it doing to stop it if they do? Just pray our guys have the sense to push the red button. Whatever that thing is, just boom, there you go. You know how many troops they have? Like, Oh gosh, would you please... Anyways, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You see that? That's Israel. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Boy, you're seeing that. It seems like that's actually more and more of a spirit going on. Just betrayal, backstabbing. One time they were your friend and now they're not anymore. Just infidelity on every level, disloyalty. I can't stand a disloyal man. I don't, I don't have time for them. I just have it. And I mean, maybe this is my human nature and human spirit. But disloyalty is just to me. I mean, if you got something worth being loyal to, you understand what I'm saying? But you shouldn't just sell out your loyalties to anybody overnight. But when you got something to be loyal to, don't be disloyal. But you got, you got that all over this world now. Many false prophets. You got that everywhere. Shall rise and shall deceive many. Yep, they all go for it. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You got a, you got a real problem with that. But nothing like it's going to be. You know what you're in right now? Right now you're in the warm-up phase. You're, you're a boiling frog and the heat's getting turned up more and more. And I think as we get closer and closer to the second coming, to the, our rapture, you're going to see more and more of this behavior pattern in the world. You see less and less love. Just more and more unbelievable, wicked debauchery. Um, Verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So the Lord's talking right here about the tribulation period. And this gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of the grace of God. You see that? It's the gospel of the kingdom. That's different. Shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations... And then the end shall come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. We'll see that as we go through Revelation. You're going to see something pretty, pretty obvious happen. Then let them be, which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down or take anything out of the house. Let him which is in the field return uh, not in the field return back to take. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe to them which are with child, and to those that give suck in those days. And pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So what he's saying is there's going to be tribulations, right? You're going to see stuff. Don't get worked up about it. Because that's not the great tribulation. In the world ye shall have tribulation, right? Jesus told you that. That ain't the great tribulation. This is the great tribulation. All the world's turning on Israel, and Israel's running for its life, and the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stands up in there in the temple, and they see all that going on, which we'll get to, and he said, that's, that's, you watch out for that. You better run. 
Um, verse 22, But except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. That's why the great tribulation doesn't last forever and ever. It's just a few years. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That's Israel. For the Jews' sake, the Lord shortened those days because if He let them go on any longer, they'd have wiped Israel off the map. So the Lord comes in to stop it. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall, false, there shall rise false Christs and false prophets and shall sow great signs and wonders. That's your charismatic movements. That's why you see a, a, a recent thing in this nation. A recent thing is the charismatic movement. That's not an ancient movement. And it's a setup. It's a setup for the tribulation period because what's going to happen is when the Antichrist comes and the false Christs are here, they're going to use all those signs and wonders and all the rest of that stuff that God gave the apostles to deceive people into believing that they're Christ. Because people are going to be so desperate for help, they're going to be looking for whatever they can look for. And he's saying they're going to show you great signs and wonders. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. But I have told you before, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in secret chambers, believe it not. For as lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth unto the west, so shall also the uh, coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now watch this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Lord, how are we going to see the sign of thy coming? He's answering the question. You got Revelation 1-7 right here. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels. We read it in Psalm 104, his ministers as a flaming fire. And a great sound of a trumpet. You see the trumpet? That ain't your trumpet. This is not the rapture. This is at the second advent, at the end of the tribulation period. Um, And they shall gather together the elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now watch this. Now watch this. This is pretty neat. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves... Ye shall know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Just like people choke on Revelation 1-7, how is every eye going to see him? They choke on this passage. He says in verse 34, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. And everybody says, well, that generation's been dead and gone for centuries now. Right? Right? This generation shall not pass away till all these... So how's how's this working? A little bit confusing? Trying to confuse you. Look at what the Lord's teaching. In context, the fig tree is a type of Israel. In context, he's talking about the second advent. In context, he's saying, learn the parable when his branch is tender and putteth forth leaves. That's the first fruits are starting to come on the branch, right? Now wait. That nation's going to be born in a day. They're going to see their Messiah coming. They're going to see this, the, the prince in his hands and the prince in his feet and the spear in his side. Look on him who they have pierced. 
There's going to be some people, some Jews there, looking for their Messiah. Recognizing some of these things in their Bibles, hearing the preaching, seeing the things going on, looking for Jesus Christ. They're going to be primed and ready to go. There will be Jews in the tribulation period turning back to Jesus and looking for him. And then when he comes, they're like, that's him. And they're going to realize they crucified their Messiah. So their hearts are ready to receive the truth as he's coming. He's saying there's going to be this, this first fruits of Israel. Recognize that when a branch is tender and putteth forth its leaves, you know that summer is nigh. When Israel starts really wanting their Messiah to come and looking for the truth, Jesus Christ is going to show up and give them the truth, and that nation's going to be born in a day. They're born again, just like that, him bringing his bride back, God the Father, who's put her away. He's divorced right now. I said God the Father's divorced right now. Very important point to point out, because among the fundamental Bible-believing circles, for whatever reason, I know what the reason is, it's shallow Bible interpretation and shallow preaching. From some preacher who was fortunate enough that his wife didn't kick him to the curb when she was sick enough of him to do so. Yeah, he happened to get a good one. Or he happened to get one that she got through and the devil didn't get a hold of her. Thank God for that. But because they had success in husband, one wife, that thing's talking about polygamy, genius. In that generation, they were all married to lots of different women. And Paul's coming in and saying, "Uh uh-uh, no more. Let him be the husband of one wife. That's polygamy. That isn't saying if he's been divorced before, he's not qualified to pastor. I know men right now that are no longer in church, no longer serving Jesus Christ, wound up a complete train wreck because at some point God called them to preach and some idiotic moron who doesn't know God or the Bible, or the, Bible or the God that wrote it told him he's not qualified to be a pastor because he's been divorced in the past. Before he was saved. That is so unfair and unholy. That is so wicked. Makes me angry. Well, I want to know the Bible. And I want to know the God that wrote it. And the God that wrote the Bible is divorced. He put her away because of her unfaithfulness to him. And he's going to bring her back. And this is when he brings her back to himself. Israel is the bride of God. The church is the bride of Christ. You understand that? He's bringing her back. So when he gets to verse number 34, he says, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now wait a minute. He shortened those days, right? Except those days be shortened, no flesh should be saved. The generation he's talking about is the generation that's alive when the tribulation period starts. Does that make sense? Now, when you look back at that verse and you see verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Do you understand Jesus Christ was telling them when he says this generation, he's saying the generation that I'm talking to you about that is alive when these things begin to happen, that generation will not pass away. That tribulation period's not going to go on for a full generation. I looked them up. A generation in the Bible can be 70 years. A generation in the Bible can be 42 years. A generation in the Bible can be 100 years. There's three different passages I got that I show you. It looks like it could be 100. looks like it could be 70. looks like it could be about 42. So that's a long time. 
He's saying this generation will not pass. I'm telling you, when these people are alive and the Great Tribulation kicks off, that generation is not going to pass off the scene till I fulfill everything. I'm not going to let them go on and 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 on in Great Tribulation indefinitely. I'm going to shorten those days. All right, so let's go back over to... Well, let's not go back there. What I want you to do, I think, I think we got that Revelation 1-7 well enough memorized, right? He cometh with clouds. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to stop there. He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. That's the Jews. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. All right, so that's a second advent. That's when Jesus Christ comes back with clouds. I want you to see this, and, uh, and maybe one more. 1 Corinthians 15, please. I want you to see your rapture. This is entirely different than what's going on in Revelation 1-7. Oh, look down at verse number 50. Now, I say, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. See that? We shall not all sleep, that's death, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, watch it, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you and I are looking for. We're looking for a moment and a twinkling of an eye. You are not going to have time to stand there and see him coming and scream and weep and wail and hit your knees and repent and all the rest of what Israel is going to be doing when they look on him whom they appears. We won't turn there for the sake of time, but I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 4. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, right? We're going to be caught up with them in the clouds. The dead in Christ rise first. And we which are alive and remain, we're caught up together with them in the clouds. Not coming with clouds, caught up in the clouds. When the rapture happens, that is the first phase of the second coming. The rest of this world is not going to see him. They're probably going to hear something like thunder as we study the thing out through the Bible. And I don't have time to run to all the references because I've got to let you go. It's already 6 o'clock. They're probably going to hear something like thunder. You're probably going to hear your name. And I'm talking as fast as you can blink. You're going to be up there with him just like that, man. We're gone. We're out of here. There's no, there he's coming and it's gloomy and it's nasty and it's dark and all this stuff is happening and the world's coming apart and we've been enduring to the end. It's like literally, I mean, you're like walking through Walmart, man, and it's boom, there's your name and you're, pow, you're there. I'm telling you like this, kids, listen, you don't have to get scared of the rapture if you're born again. If you're not born again, you better get saved. You ought to be scared of stinking cotton-picking death. You understand what I'm saying? You ought not be able to sleep tonight till you get saved. I'm serious about that. I mean, you ought to be so scared you don't go to bed until you ask your parents to lead you to Christ. Amen. And if you're not old enough and your parents tell you you're not old enough, then relax. You'll go with us. Amen. Amen. Mom and dad, you can relax. What happens if my infant and I had the same thing? I never worried about it much. You know, it was like a nice debate among the guys. It hit me when I had Anna. It hit me like, a t- what in the world's going to happen? <laughs> uh, 
I, I, can't, I can't imagine getting raptured out and leaving my baby in a crib for the Antichrist to have. You know what I mean? Uh, th- th- there go with you. I believe that with all my heart. I got some passages for it, but we don't have time. Now listen, you're going to get caught up just like that. And I am telling you, the second you hear your voice and you know it's Jesus, I, I promise you, you're not going to be like, oh, I never got to get married. Never got to have kids. I promise you, the second that happens, you're going to be flooded with joy. It'll be time to go see him. And it's going to be more exciting than anything you've ever seen or done on this planet. There's no way to even describe to you how great it's going to be to get there, get the judgment seat over with, and get on with it. Amen? You're not going to be standing there looking at him coming in full of terror and weeping and dropping to your knees getting saved and the kindreds of the earth wailing because Jesus is coming and a sword coming out of his mouth and a bunch of saints with him and angels with all the rest. That's not you. Revelation 1-7 is the second phase of the second advent, the second coming, when he puts his foot down at the second advent. And every eye is going to see him. Now listen, whether you had the explanation, hopefully you got some explanations for that now that help you a little bit. But whether you had them or not, the answers were still there. So when you run across a passage you don't understand, just believe him and trust he's got it figured out. But the answers are actually pretty obvious. Every eye is going to see him. <laughs> Whether it be the every eye of Israel, I doubt it. I think every eye of the world is going to see him. And all the kindreds of the earth are going to wail. Now you're still in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Look at the last verse, 58. We're looking for a rapture. We're not looking for the second advent, right? We're not looking for the signs of the times and all that stuff. All that stuff I showed you in Matthew 24 was the Lord talking to them about the signs of the tribulation and the coming of the Son of Man at the end of the tribulation. So he's saying there's all this stuff coming, it's going to be happening, and as the tribulation goes on, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. I was using that as an illustration to help you relax about stuff you see now. But Jesus was talking about the tribulation period in Matthew 24 and the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, which is Jesus ruling and reigning on a throne in Jerusalem. Are you with me? It's not to you. Here's to you. Verse 58, since you're looking for Jesus to get you out of here, therefore, my beloved brethren... Be ye steadfast. You know what God wants from you? Faithfulness. I said earlier I can't stand a disloyal man. I can't stand an unfaithful man either. I'm not saying, you know, if you, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, or you're an unfaithful man. I'm just talking about a lack of faithful character. You understand what I'm saying? Be, there's not a person in this room that can't be steadfast. Faithful. Unmovable. Don't quit, you guys. You're going to want to. Trust me, you're going to want to. Trust me, like we're preaching on Sunday mornings as we go on with this series, it's going to get you somewhere along the line. You're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt somebody or somebody else is going to hurt you. I promise you, you're going to get hurt. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep serving God. Don't be movable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always be faithful to follow God. Listen, here's something we're going to preach, we're going to get to as we're preaching through this thing. Everybody gets this backwards. I, this, this, this foolish preaching that, that, that we heard for so many years, it was win them, wet them, and work them. That means get them saved, dunk them in the baptismal pool, and give them a job in the church. And they literally brainwash an entire generation of Christians that you have to be doing something for God, which meant... You know, what am I doing 
I got to be out knocking on doors on Thursday night and I got to be out street preaching on Friday night and I got to be out on bus ministry on Saturday and I got to be there on Wednesday and I got to be on the church cleaning list and I got to be for all the practices and I got to be there for choir three hours early before church and there's just like work them and work them and work them and work them and, and people, people respond to that. It shocks me sometimes, but people respond to that because they feel important and needed and like they got a job and a title and it, it's like win them, wet them and work them. That ain't the way to be steadfast and unmovable. I will promise you that. Where'd all those churches go? Where'd a lot of those people go? You watch it 20, 30, and 40 years later, their war slap out. Their kids want nothing to do with church. And mom and daddy aren't close to each other, let alone close to the kids, because the preachers loaded up their church families with so much constant work building a ministry and working for God. They loaded up their week so much the kids couldn't be in any sports. Listen, your kids shouldn't be in sports on Wednesday if church is on Wednesday, okay? I believe in, no, we don't do soccer games on Sunday. Sorry. Well, we're not going to get to play if I don't show up at practice on Wednesday night. Well, then enjoy practices because we don't skip church for soccer. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I've done this myself. I'm not just saying, not just preaching at you. I'm not talking about going so far the other way that we become unbiblical. But I am saying, hey, listen, a little balance is extremely important. And there's ditches on both sides. And the devil uses those ditches to get people off the path God wants them on. And so you got this, this major pressure that got put on people to work, 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 abounding in the work of the Lord. What does that mean? Has anybody stopped to define what that means? Do you realize that the work of the Lord to me is just as much grace as it is this ministry? Not the grace of God, my grace, my wife. My relationship with her is important to God. The children God gave me are important to the Lord. My family is important. My family doesn't come before God. I don't bow and worship my family. I don't have the perfect family. And the perfect kids are so much better than your kids. But I love them because they're mine. And they mean a lot to me because God gave them to me. That's a response. That's the work of God. My devotional life and my prayer life, that's abounding in the work of God. I would rather every last one of you grab some tracks on the way out of here and find somebody that you see at the gas station every week, that you see at work, that you know, your neighbor, your family, your friend. I would rather you stop and hand them a gospel track and get to talk to them than to have everybody show up on a Thursday night, go out and knock on random doors of people we don't know and come back and brag about how many did you get to say the prayer? How many did you get? Oh, I got three. Where are they? We have seen God grow this church and souls saved on a steady, regular basis from you being a witness, abounding in the work of God when you go to work tomorrow morning. If a man provide not for his own, especially they of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. What's the work of God? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What does that mean biblically? You know, clocking in tomorrow is what that means biblically, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry to tell you. Nowadays, it's like, oh, a woman's not, supposed to, a woman's not supposed to work. Well, I don't know. The virtuous woman was out there selling real estate. It looked at me like she did two or three different jobs. Keep her at home. Yes. Yeah, you shouldn't get to the point where you're chasing a career so much you can't keep the home well. If you can't do both, you're going to have to quit something. But man, the kids get to a certain age and they're all gone and they're, they're, they're off at school or whatever else and she's sitting there staring at the walls and she's only vacuuming the house, the floor. How, I mean, is that making you spiritual? Do you understand what I'm driving at? What does abounding in the work of the Lord mean? 
I refuse to load you up so much that you can't take your kids to the park on Saturday. Good night, man. You're locked down all winter long when summer gets here. I'm not going to load you up with so much bounding in the work of the Lord, right? That's a guilt monkey got put on your back, and you feel like if you're not doing enough that you're not doing something. You realize raising your kids is doing something for God? Loving your wife is doing something for God? When's the last time you guys went out on a date? Well, I just, I just need more to do. <laughs> Take your wife out on a date. That's doing something for God. She's important to the Lord, don't you think? Your marriage is important, ain't it? You understand what I'm driving at? Hey, listen. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. Stay at it. Keep looking for that trumpet. And I'm telling you this much. If you're a faithful man and a faithful woman, God will put you where God wants you and he'll give you work to do. Trust me, the work comes, man. I don't have to drum it up and I don't have to make it up and I don't have to provide it. I am telling you it comes. When God's called you to it, it'll come. But if you aren't faithful, if you aren't steadfast, that trumpet's going to come and you ain't going to be ready. And boy, nothing strikes terror in my heart more than to have that trumpet sound and be standing before that judgment seat of Jesus Christ and realize the little tiny life that he gave me with all the opportunities he's presented to me that I wasted them. I do not think that I'm going to stand before the Lord and brag about my ministry. Well, Lord, we had Thursday night visitation and we had the street preaching and we had this and we had all these programs going on. He's going to say, where are your daughters? Well, God, we did the best we could, but we didn't have a dad because he was serving you. Just trying to make you think a little bit about doing something for God. It's a little bit more than just this religious drive that we have to get people always doing something to build a ministry. Brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want us to work effectively. I want you to get the job done. I don't want to load you down with pressuring you to do stuff for the church. But I do want you to be faithful to what we're doing. One of the greatest ways to work for God is bringing your kids to church. Amen. Be faithful, folks. Because the day is coming soon when that trumpet's going to sound. And you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. The things you've done in your body. But you ain't going to have to worry about that Revelation 1-7. That ain't you. Thank God you're going to be with him then. Coming in there to fight a pretty cool battle. And watch him set up his kingdom. Yours is coming. And I'm telling you right now. Nothing remains to be fulfilled for the trumpet to sound. Red heifers and all the rest of that stinking stupid foolishness on YouTube. You guys that stuff is so stupid. Tune every bit of that garbage out. Jesus Christ might come back now. And he might wait till you die. And we don't have time for that debate, but I promise you, it's in the Bible and it's real possible that it could be 100 years off from what we're thinking. So guess what you're left with? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How are you doing with God, you and him? How's your relationship? Your relationship with Jesus Christ is everything. I'm done with this thought. When you look at your Bible, and you watch how God works, He says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. What comes last? The work. Always abounding comes last. You know what starts out in the Bible? It starts out with worship, with Abel. 
And you got to walk with Enoch. And then you got to work with Noah. It starts out with your worship. A brand new Christian doesn't even know how to walk with God yet. They start worshiping Him. And as you worship Him, you learn to walk with Him. And as you walk with Him, eventually He says you're ready to get to work. So that's why it's laid out just like that. You know what the first thing is? My worship of Jesus Christ is number one. My walk with Jesus Christ and then my work for Him. If I'm worshiping Him and walking with Him, the work, the work will come. All right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be